The text for the sermon this morning, congregation, is verse 6 of Ezekiel 16. We'll read that verse again. 16, verse 6. And when I passed by you and saw you wallowing in your blood, I said to you in your blood, live. I said to you in your blood, live. Brothers and sisters in the Lord, boys and girls who belong to the Lord, have you watched the movie The Dropbox? You should. You should watch it. It's about a Korean pastor who runs an orphanage for abandoned disabled children. In many Asian countries, you might know it's a it's kind of a shame in a family if a, a baby with disabilities is born in that family. Disabilities or imperfections. Well, this, the, the, those families don't want those children. And this pastor installed a special drop box at his house so women could anonymously drop off unwanted babies. And there are lots of places in the world where unwanted babies are left on a doorstep or out on the street or in a railway station. Children like that who are found and cared for after they have been abandoned by their parents are called foundlings. Well, in Bible times, there were also foundlings. And in our text, the Lord uses the image of a foundling to describe to Israel and especially the Jews in Jerusalem then how they had become his people in the first place. Ezekiel the prophet has to admonish Israel for their waywardness but he first reminds them of how they became his people in the first place. He wants to remind them that their status as covenant people isn't something that should bring them to look down on others, but it should bring deep gratitude toward God. Their status as people of God, people of promise, depends not on themselves in any way, but totally and completely on God himself and his compassion, his grace. And congregation, it's no different with us today. That is how we were, we have become God's people today. And I preached to you this morning the text with this theme, then the, the covenant people as foundling. We see three things. First, they're found by God. Secondly, found helpless. And thirdly, but given life. So first of all, the covenant people as foundlings, found by God. In chapter 16 of his prophecies, congregation, Ezekiel has to address the city of Jerusalem. And that's basically all that was left of the nation of Israel. And Jerusalem, you know, had been taken by Nebuchadnezzar, all of Israel, all of Judah, you could say. But J Jerusalem, too, had been conquered 
by Nebuchadnezzar some years before, but the city had been left intact. 3,000 of the leading people of Jerusalem had been taken to Babylonia by Nebuchadnezzar, and they had been put in camps along the Kabar River in Babylonia, and Ezekiel was among those people. But then the people who were left in Jerusalem yet figured that they had been left there by God's providence because they were the real people of God. The people who had been taken away were not. There was something in them that caused God to leave them there in Jerusalem. And that's why they said God led those others away captive. There was something in them. They weren't good Jews. The Jews who were left in Jerusalem with the temple and the temple service, they were the true people of God. There was, there was something in them that made God leave them there. And so they were filled with selfish pride and they looked down on the others. They were better than those others who were led into exile. However, there was no reason for those Jews still in Jerusalem to think any more highly of themselves at all. The temple worship was being continued, but in the meantime, there was still a lot of sin going on in Jerusalem. There were a lot of perversion and idolatry. The people made other things more important than worshiping and serving God. They filled Jerusalem with their abominations. It says in verse 2 of chapter 16. Their hearts didn't really belong to the Lord. Sure, outwardly they claimed to serve the Lord, but in actual fact they served other gods and ultimately they served themselves. Because the ultimate idolatry is to make yourself more important than anything or anyone else, even God himself. They held to the form of religion, but they denied the power of it and they lived the way they wanted but then the Lord says through Ezekiel at the beginning of the chapter, thus says the Lord God to Jerusalem. Your origin and your birth are of the land of the Canaanites. Your father was an Amorite and your mother a Hittite. Now that was a, a slap in the face for those people still in Jerusalem, those Jews, those remaining Jews in Jerusalem. They were proud of their ancestry. They were descendants of Abram, Isaac, and Jacob. But now the Lord calls them descendants of uncircumcised Canaanites. Their father was an Amorite, says the Lord. And that must have hurt. The Amorites, you know, they were inhabitants of Canaan before the Lord gave the land to Israel. The cities of Sodom and Gomorrah were Amorite cities. And you know the abominations that took place there. The Lord had said through Moses that Israel would not inherit the land of Canaan because they were such good people, but because the measure of the wickedness of the Amorites was full. That's the only reason they inherited the land. But now he calls the people of Jerusalem, those Jews, those remaining Jews, the descendants of the Amorites. And to drive the point home even more, the Lord says that their mother was a Hittite. The Hittites were the most cruel pagan nation of the area. And they used to live in Canaan before God gave it to the Israelites. Remember how Abram bought that cave of Machpelah from the Hittites. 
And they were the original inhabitants of Jerusalem who defied King David and had to be driven out by him before he could make it the city of David. So DNA-wise, the people of Jerusalem were certainly descendants of Abram and Sarah, so why does God call them offspring of pagan Canaanites? He does that to shock them, those people of Jerusalem, into realizing that instead of acting like descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they were acting like the descendants of the uncircumcised, the wicked Amorites and Hittites who used to live in Canaan before then. And that's not all. The prophet Ezekiel has to tell those Jews left in Jerusalem. He, tells, he, he compares Jerusalem with a, a newborn daughter of that Amorite father and Hittite mother. Do you know, he says, what your parents did with you when you were born? They abhorred you and they chucked you in the open field right after you were born. Mind you, that happened more often in those days among pagan nations like the Amorites and the Hittites. Daughters were not highly thought of among those peoples. A man was mighty if he had many, many sons, since property was inherited through sons. Sons carried the family name on, and many sons gave a man might among the people. So daughters were often killed or left in a field to die. They figured they had enough daughters, and they had another baby, and it was a daughter. They left it in the field to die. Happens in some Asian countries today, too, such as India and China. If somebody has a number of daughters and another baby is born, that baby is sometimes abandoned, left to die, left to be found by somebody else. That's how it was then, too. Well, that Amorite father and Hittite mother abandoned their baby girl in the open field. They didn't even bother to cut the umbilical cord at the navel. And they didn't bother to wash the newborn baby with water to clean her of the blood or to rub her with salt for her health, as was the custom in those days. They also didn't wrap that baby in, in some cloths to keep her warm. No, she was coldly, cruelly abandoned in the field, thrown aside to wallow in her own blood and afterbirth. That baby was destined to die. But somebody came by. Somebody found that baby. The Lord says, and when I passed by you and saw you, he says at the beginning of our text. See, God speaks of himself metaphorically as a traveler passing by that field. And as he passed by, something caught his eye moving in the, the grass there. And he saw an abandoned baby girl lying there in her blood. And you see, with just a few words, congregation, the Lord portrays his unfathomable mercy towards Jerusalem and all Israel. That foundling most certainly would have died helpless in the open field if nobody had taken notice of her. But the Lord came by and he saw her and had compassion on her. And you see, congregation, this imagery of God seeing that foundling in the field and having compassion on her. That's about God's sovereign grace towards his covenant people. Israel and Jerusalem. And then you and I, too, have nothing to boast about as far as our origin or ancestry is concerned. Of ourselves, 
we're no better nor more worthy than anybody else of any special attention from God. Of ourselves, we're all like that abandoned baby lying in the field, uncared for, unwanted, abhorred, destined for death. But God came by and he saw us. He saw us. He regarded our misery. And he decided to save us in his compassion. He gave his only son for us. To wash us. To rescue us. You see, the point is, it's all his initiative. It's his doing, his grace, that you and I can be as people today. It all comes from him. There's nothing in, in us that makes us more lovable, more desirable than anybody else. Let's always keep that in mind, covenant people of the Lord here. That there's nothing in us that makes us more worthy of God's salvation than anybody else in the world. Our redemption from sin and everlasting salvation are only because God saw us in our misery and helplessness and had compassion on us. We, therefore, have no right to look down on others around us who don't know God. And none of us has any right to think of ourselves better than anyone else in church here even either. More worthy of God's love and blessing because of something in us. The only soul and sole reason we have the promise, each of us has the promise of salvation. The only reason we belong to God's people is because God looked on us. And had compassion on us. We didn't find God. He found us. And looked on us. In compassion. In Christ. When we fall into serious sins. When we end up helpless again. and Then it's only because God sees us. And has compassion on us. That we can come to repentance again too. And get out of that sin again. It's all from him. From his grace and spirit. And shouldn't that make us the most. Humble. And the most grateful people on earth. And the most compassionate people on earth too here. How could we not be compassionate towards others. If we understand how compassionate God has been to us in the first place. How he found us too. We didn't make ourselves acceptable to God in any way at all. He saw us. He took us in his compassion. And it's only and only by his electing grace in Christ that we are what we are. That we are where we are. That we have the hope that we have. We come to the second part of the sermon. Found helpless. The Lord says more in the text though. Through Ezekiel his prophet. 
God found his people like a foundling, but notice how he found her. He found her wallowing in her blood. The umbilical cord had not been cut off at the navel. The blood of childbirth had not been washed off. The child had not been wrapped in cloths. Now you know that a child like that was unclean in Israel. In fact, a, a newborn baby girl like that was ceremonially unclean for 80 days in Israel according to the law of Moses. And that uncleanness was intended to remind the people of Israel about original sin. It was intended to show Israel that by nature, the Israelites are conceived and born in sin just like everybody else. And therefore in themselves, unclean before God. Original sin can easily become simply dry doctrine for us. You learn it in catechism class. Through the fall of our first parents, Adam and Eve in paradise, our nature became so corrupt that we are all conceived and born in sin. You learn that off by heart. But we have to also see and take to heart the reality of that. in order to come to the true appreciation of God's grace to us in Jesus Christ. Because of Adam and Eve's sin in paradise, we're all born in sin, infected with sin, right from conception. Guilty. A newborn baby can look very sweet and innocent in your arms, that baby hasn't made a single conscious decision about anything yet. And still, that baby is born in sin and already has guilt before God. And is worthy of eternal condemnation before God already too. That's what we confess every time there's a, a baptism. Children are conceived and born in sin and therefore subject to condemnation. Well, congregation, that's how the Lord says he found Israel, and specifically Jerusalem, his covenant people. That's how he found them struggling, kicking around in their own blood with un, umbi, umbilical cord uncut, symbolizing her uncleanness before God. This baby was unwashed, unclean because of original sin and guilt in the presence of God. But what did the Lord do when he saw her like that? He did some beautiful things. Verse 9, it says that he bathed her with water and washed the blood from her, anointed her with oil and clothed her. He showed her unfathomable mercy, saved her from her uncleanness because of her sinfulness, saved her from condemnation. If anything, Israel and Jerusalem should see from this image the foundling of the foundling how impure, how sinful and destined for death they were in themselves and how great God's compassion and mercy are. People of God, we confess that we're all conceived and born in sin and of ourselves dead in our trespasses and sins. And that's really how all people are before God and themselves right from birth already. But the Son of God became man 
And though he was born pure without any sin, he was reckoned with the impure and the unclean. His earthly parents had to go to the temple and have him circumcised and offer a couple of pigeons for his cleansing according to the law. He who knew no sin was made sin so that we might be clean. He was reckoned with the sinners. That's how he was condemned to death for sinners. And so we have this wonderful promise of that washing away of all our sins with his blood. Cleansing. Every child in the church here too is born in sin and unclean of itself. But at the baptism with the washing with some water, we see how God the Son promises to wash away all our uncleanness, our sins. Just as without their knowledge, covenant children share in the condemnation of Adam, so without their knowledge are they received into grace in Christ. And so the baptism of our children shows especially clearly that it's all grace and grace alone that we know God, that we have his promise. And what our text shows then is written for us to bring us to deep gratitude to God that we of all people can belong to his covenant and church. We have nothing to offer God. Nothing to boast about before, our, before anybody in ourselves. Not a thing. In ourselves, unclean, condemnable from birth. Destined for eternal death like everybody else. Destined to wallow in our uncleanness until we perish. But in his mercy, God saw us in our uncleanness. And he took us and washed us and anointed us in Christ and clothed us with his righteousness. And therefore, through faith, we may seek and we need to seek that washing with Christ's blood and that clothing with his righteousness day by day, congregation. Every day, we need God's grace and the cleansing with the blood of Christ. Day by day. That and that alone means life and blessing and a future for any of us. We come to the last part of the sermon. The covenant people given life. When the Lord found the people of Israel abandoned in that field, wallowing in her blood, he not only took her up and cleansed her, he also said something to her. In the text it says, he said to her in her blood, live. Live. The parents of that baby girl had thrown her out in the open field. Didn't want to look at her anymore. She was out of mind for them. Didn't want her. They gave her over to death. And that's how Israel was in herself too. That's what Jerusalem was like in herself. Rejected, helpless, destined for death. That's how we are in ourselves because of our original and actual sins. Helpless, hopeless, destined for death, eternal death, individually, together. But now God comes and sees and has compassion, and what a contrast. He says to that foundling 
live. And that one word contains a mighty promise. It means that what was in fact dead can live. Live forever even. It's like a resurrection from the dead. When God speaks like that, he calls into existence what wasn't there before. Like when he gave life to Adam in the beginning. Or like when Jesus said to the young girl who had died, Talitha kumi. Little girl, live, get up. The Lord gives life to his covenant people with a word, live. And he does that today too through Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. Also today, he calls poor sinners in the midst of death to life. Of ourselves, we're helpless in the middle of death, but God says, live. And so we can come to life today too. We come to life through the word and the spirit. By means of word and spirit, we are regenerated and we come to new life. Every time we hear the gospel of Christ, God says to us, live. Live. And we come to life today too. Through the word and spirit of God. Every time the gospel is proclaimed, God calls people to life. People who are helpless and dead and under condemnation of themselves. This morning too, he comes to each of you and all of you together here in the word. And he says, live. Come to life. In other words, receive my grace in Jesus Christ. Embrace Christ as your life and salvation. Brothers and sisters, this is comfort to us today too. Maybe you figure you don't have what it takes to be loved by God. Why would God love me? Maybe you think you're not worthy of eternal life. You think you're too unclean. Your sins are too great, too many. But the text shows us so clearly that all the action comes from God. Nothing can and nothing has to come from ourselves. We're all unwanted, uncleaned, tossed aside, destined for death. And that's what we need to confess in the first place. And if we confess that, then we also understand that salvation from God comes to us completely out of ourselves, outside of ourselves in Jesus Christ. The only reason we have hope and we can look forward to complete redemption and eternal life is because God in his grace saw us wallowing in our blood and condemnation. And he took us up as foundlings and he cleansed us and he gave us life in his son. And congregation, the beautiful thing is, he's willing to start brand new with us every day again, completely out of grace. He actually sees us and washes us and clothes us and gives us life every day again in Jesus Christ. And that message should make us very, very humble. 
and small also over against each other. Nobody here is a child of God because he's better than someone else or a better child of God or so. Nobody. What do any of us have that was not given to us? That's what Paul writes to the Corinthians too. And at the same time, that should make us very, very thankful if we think it through. Our gracious God does everything for us in Christ. It's because of him that we have hope. That we live in this world with hope in our hearts. You were a reject. Nothing good is dead in yourself. He saw you. And in his mercy through his son raised you up to life and light so that you believe and you want to believe. Doesn't that make you want to live for him now too? How could you ever turn away from a God like this? How could you ever grieve him by holding on to the sin and the condemnation which he redeemed you from in his son? Wouldn't you fight that, that remaining sin in you? How could you ever seek death when he says to you, live, love this God and commit your life to him? He found you. Amen. Congregation, let's sing in response to the the proclamation, Psalm 116, stanzas 1, 2, 5, and 7. <clears throat>